I bring you greetings in Jesus' name. It's such a blessing to be here today. And the uh, singing got better and better and better over the last hour and 15 minutes. So it's because people kept coming and coming, and it's just a, a blessing to see all the chairs so full. I want to welcome you here. Some of you are here for the first time. Um, Pastor Galen, as he mentioned, asked me to fill in, and it was actually a good time for me because uh, in two weeks, Lord willing, uh, Nan and Jeff and Charlotte and I are planning to go to Pennsylvania for a weekend thing in a prison, and I'm supposed to speak. And I certainly don't have everything ready, and it seemed like the Lord over the last months has been directing me to uh, speak from the Old Testament. And kind of the main theme is actually in Romans 15, 4, whatever was written before was written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scripture may have hope. So our hope and prayer is as we go into the prison with, uh, it's called uh, Light of Hope Evangelistic um, Campaign or a Crusade, there's 400 volunteers that go into 30 different prisons in Pennsylvania to sh try to bring hope and the light of Jesus. And my hope and prayer is, uh, as I tell some Old Testament stories, that the scripture from the Old Testament will bring us hope and patience and encouragement and point us to Christ because the whole Old Testament points forward to Jesus. And so that's certainly my prayer today. And thank you, Brother Galen, for letting me have this time. And it, it definitely stimulated me to work on this story that I've heard for a long time. It's from 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19 comes uh, from kind of the middle toward the end of Elijah the prophet's life. Uh, he thought it was going to be the very last uh, experience he had on earth. But as we'll find out in the story, there was work ahead for him, perhaps several years of work before he finally was taken up. He had the most unusual way to go to heaven, a way that uh, we all envy, and that is he, he went up not on an airplane, but he went up on a chariot of fire with horses, and up and up he went. When I was a little boy, uh, one of the pastors at the church said, Elijah was just like us. He had lots of ups and downs. But his ups were bigger than his downs, and finally he went up, up, and stayed up. But today's story from uh, Kings, 1 Kings 19, Elijah thought it was the end of his life, but it wasn't his time to go up. Uh, before we get to that, though, why don't, um, if you found it, uh, I'd like, if Derek doesn't mind, if I'm not hoeing too close to your corn, I'd like if we could sing... This is the day one more time, because this is a day of joy, and it's straight from the Psalms. I want to thank Nan. I don't know if she'd been for a long time wanting to put these posters up, and finally this was the weekend that they came up, and it's straight from Psalms. It's a statement of fact that this day God has made, and then the second part of the verse uh, is what we are singing. We're going to make a, a choice. We're going to make a choice about this day. We're going to rejoice in this day. We're going to give God praise and thanks. So if you found the scripture, uh, uh, go ahead and stand up. It's uh, Kings 19. We're going to sing a song, then I'll read the scripture, and then we'll have prayer, and we'll get into the story in a little more detail. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made. 
We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. Hallelujah. First Kings 19. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Not the whole chapter, but we will go through verse 18. The first five verses... First four verses I've entitled Elijah on the Run, Feared and Fled. The second set of verses, verses five through eight, Elijah under the tree. He prayed, he slept, and he ate. And then the rest of what we'll read is Elijah in the cave. He received God's revelation. First Kings 19.1, then Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, or Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and a strong wind tore the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, his cloak, and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. 
Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshah as king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahola you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the Old Testament scriptures that point forward to Jesus in such a beautiful and wonderful way. Thank you for your encouragement to Elijah at his point, perhaps as low as he ever was in his life. And I just thank you that you're able through your word, through your spirit to speak to us as well and give us encouragement. So meet the needs in each of our hearts here today. We thank you and we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. So this has been a a memorable week in different ways. And I don't know what all you went through, but I thought back over the week, uh, I had some wonderful highlights this week. One one was actually listening to Pastor Galen's sermon on the resurrection. Uh, We weren't here, we were in Ohio visiting Diane's dad and stepmother. Uh, And we stopped at a church near Columbus where Wendy grew up actually and heard a sermon on the resurrection. That was encouraging. And then uh, later in the week, I heard another sermon on the resurrection, and I had at least one opportunity to share the faith that I have in Jesus that's based on the risen Savior. And that was really a blessing. It was somebody who was in a Buddhist religion, and I haven't met many people in Buddhism, but there is such blessing in sharing the faith we have in Christ with others. We have faith in a living a risen Christ, who because of his resurrection, we also will live forever. We will rise again after we die. And that gives us so much hope for the future. It also gives us hope in everything we need today and this week. So that was some highlights of my week. But there were some low points this week. Tuesday was one. I got a text from Nan that said the school had been robbed. Now, Probably a lot of you know that, some of you didn't, but sometime over the Easter holiday, somebody went into the school, stole all the money from the store. Some of you know there's a store in the school. The seventh and eighth grade class has a store. It's been fantastic. Uh, I mean, this store has encouraged us (laughs) in so many ways. It encourages the other students, too, because they can purchase uh, nutritious things from this store and leave their money in the little money uh, container, And I'm going to just tell a little about this store. This is a little off the subject, but I just feel I should highlight this. And maybe the robbery happened. I don't know why God allowed the robbery. God allows things to happen that are not good and are not according to his plan of salvation and his plan for good. But he permits things for reasons he doesn't know. But anyway, I want to highlight the seventh and eighth grade class that even though all their money was stolen and a bunch of the food was taken and the freezer door was left open, which ruined the rest of the ice cream and whatnot that they were hoping to sell, they had an amazing attitude. 
I talked to Nan that night and I was praying that they would be able to forgive and move forward. And they did. Nan said, oh, it's no, no big deal to them. They're just, we're just praying for the robber and we're, or robbers. We don't know how many there were. And uh, one of the students even said, I wish we could get the popcorn to them which is fantastic, because what had happened, some of you, these are little details, but I think they're important. The uh, popcorn that they sell apparently was picked up with the intention of taking it, but then when they got to another room in the school, they apparently got distracted by the computers. So the popcorn was left laying there and the computers were taken. But anyway, one of the sixth, seventh graders, not only were they able to forgive, but just wishing that they could have also got the popcorn to the robbers. That just, that just blessed me. Isn't that great? I'm going to tell some more about the 6th and 7th grade class and their money. They raised by Christmas somewhere around $100. And so Miss Nan asked them, this is Jesus' birthday. What do you think we should give him for his birthday? And we're going to have a vote. Voting's great, isn't it? Uh, you can vote anywhere from 10% to 100% of this money that we have to give to Jesus for his birthday. Uh, if you want to give it all, fine. But we're going to give at least 10% of this money to Jesus for his birthday. So all seven of the students, they voted. Nan had the little slips of paper. Some of these students are here. I'm not going to call you by name, but... Uh, there was one student that said, let's give the whole thing. God bless that student. Isn't that amazing? The others had some lesser amounts, and they did a math problem. As I understand, Edward and Anna, uh, you both were there, right? You did a math problem where you did an average. All seven numbers that were recommended percentages, they did an average, and they divided, and it came out to somewhere right around 50%. So they tied their money at 50%. I have a sneaking suspicion none of us here are tithing at 50%, but that's what they did, and that blesses me as I think about it. And Jesus took that money in the form of Bibles. They sent Bibles around the world. I'm not sure which country or which people got it. Then later this year, they decided they wanted to send money to children in Mexico. And so that money was mailed just recently. I was thinking about all that. I was mad. I was angry at the robbers. I don't like when people take my money. I don't like when people take my food. But I was just so blessed that the sixth and seventh graders were able to forgive so quickly. Maybe this is one of the reasons that Jesus said, except we become like little children. And sixth and seventh grade, they're young people. You're not little children, but... The younger the child is, I would say, the quicker they are to forgive. Do you notice that? Let's forgive. Let's move on. Anyway, that's the sermon before the sermon from my week. We've been through a lot this week, haven't we? There's been joys. There's been sorrows. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave Blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend on his word. 
I've been to lots of places and I've seen a lot of faces. There's been times I've felt so all alone. But in my lonely hours, yes, those precious lonely hours, Jesus lets me know that I am not alone. Jesus lets me know that I was his own. Andre Crouch wrote that poem. I suspect he wrote it out of loneliness and loss. But the chorus is so beautiful. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. Well, Elijah learned to depend on God's word. The word of the Lord would come to Elijah. Elijah would pass it on. And he did this many, many times in many different ways. And people would come to him and they would say, pray for us, Elijah. Pray for us. We need some encouragement. We need some help. And there was all kinds of miracles he did. And some of the words that God gave him were very difficult to deliver. And three years, three and a half years before our story here in, in Kings 19, he went to Ahab with a word from the Lord. And he said, because you are serving Baal and Ashtaroth and these idols, you are not going to have rain for at least three years till I pray for it. And he took off. And I imagine Jezebel and Ahab, the king and the queen, probably didn't worry about it too much for the first few days, maybe even the first few weeks, but there was no rain, no rain. And those who are farmers know that this is a terrible situation. Elijah's hiding back in the mountains, drinking water out of a brook, way back in. So far back in, no one lives there. You can drink water and live for a while. I'm not sure how many days that went on. But after a while, God provided meat for him. Birds came flying, carrying cheeseburgers and, I don't know, some kind of meat. It doesn't say what meat, but the ravens brought meat and he's drinking and eating. And after a while, it got drier and drier and drier and the brook dried up. And the word of the Lord told uh, Elijah where he could go next. And he found a widow who was ready to die. She had a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. She was going to make her last little two biscuits. And she and her son were going to eat and they were going to die. And you remember the miracle that happened. The oil in the barrel didn't stop, or in the little jug. And the flour in the barrel, it just kept being there. I guess she'd scratch to the bottom of the barrel and there was more, and there was more. And so for, a, I don't know, maybe months and months he may have lived there. I, I'm not sure, but God kept providing and kept providing. And finally, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the chapter right before this chapter and said, it's time for you to go back and talk to Ahab. Now, what had been happening is Ahab had sent out an international search party to find uh, Elijah and they went to these countries every country around Syria and all these countries and they make the king swear that they did not have Elijah hiding anywhere there uh, Elijah was he was safe I guess at the widow's house e eating his cakes every day but the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the chapter right before our story and said time for you to go and talk to Ahab and give him this message 
And so Elijah went. And along the way, he met Obadiah, who was another prophet who also worked in uh, Elijah's house. He was a good prophet. He had hid some other prophets when Jezebel was trying to kill all the prophets. And <clears throat> Obadiah said, is that you, Elijah? Elijah said, it's me. And uh, would you tell Ahab that I'm come to talk to him? And I'll, I'll be talking to him. And Obadiah said, no, if I tell Ahab I saw you, you know, I'm going to be killed. He's trying to find you. And you might disappear. You just, Elijah would just disappear at times. And I, I can't tell Ahab you're here. And so Ahab encouraged Obadiah that I will, I will appear with Ahab. I think it was tomorrow. And so he told Ahab that rain's, uh, actually I'm not sure if he said rain's going to come. He said we're going to have a contest on Mount Carmel to decide who is God, whether it's Baal is God or whether the Lord is God. And you know about the contest. And there were 450 prophets of Baal and there were 400 prophets of Asheroth. And Elijah was there by himself representing God. Now, there were other people there watching all this. And eventually the fire of God fell down and burned up uh, the sacrifice and the people shouted, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Because Baal, all the hours of crying and praying to Baal and cutting themselves till the blood flowed, all of that uh, didn't, didn't result in uh, fire. But when Elijah prayed a short prayer, God sent fire and it burned up the sacrifice and the stones and the water, burned it all up. It was, it was amazing. And then... <clears throat> The prophets, the evil prophets were killed. And this is in the Old Testament where uh, there was a, uh, a lot of bloodshed. I don't understand all the Old Testament, but I'm glad we live in the New Testament where we follow Jesus' teaching. He changed things on this, that our weapons now are not carnal, but are physical, or I'm sorry, are spiritual. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, or physical, but they are spiritual. And we wrestle not, Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against people. We're fighting against demons and Satan and wrong, wrong ideas in our mind and in the minds of others. We are fighting with spiritual weapons of prayer and praise <clears throat> and service and even dying love if we need to die for others. We would rather die for them than kill them. But in this setting, in the Old Testament setting, these prophets had been killed. And Ahab went home on his chariot, trying to get there before the rainstorm hit. And Elijah ran faster than the horses and chariot to Jezreel, which was the city where they were at that time in northern Israel. And the rain came. But the next day, Jezebel was very very angry because Ahab told her the story of what happened on Mount Carmel. And so that's our first verse. A threat on his life. By tomorrow this time you're going to be dead. And so what did Elijah do? He feared for his life and he ran for dear life. That's the first section, verses 1 through 4. I looked on a map, and I was thinking I'd bring a map, but basically he ran from northern part of Palestine, where Jezreel was, 
all the way to the southern part to Beersheba, which is down in the lower part of Judah. Maybe 100 miles. I saw different mileage, and I guess it depends on whether it's as the crow flies or whether it's following the roads. But he ran, and his, his servant went with him. This was a servant that was with him on Mount Carmel. And after they had the sacrifice and the contest, <clears throat> uh, Elijah prayed seven times for rain. And each time after each prayer, the servant would go and look uh, and check. And nope, no clouds. And so Elijah would pray again. He prayed seven times. And uh, this servant was kind of the messenger. Anyway, the servant, probably the same servant, went with Elijah all the way this hundred miles from Beersheba. I'm sorry, from Jezreel down to Beersheba. And there, something interesting happened. We don't know why. There's so much of the story we don't know. And people speculate all kinds of different ways on this stuff. For some reason, the servant was left behind at Beersheba. And Elijah went on alone. A whole day's journey into the wilderness. Now, probably a lot of you have seen desert. First time I saw desert was in Arizona. It was in early 2002. We went to Arizona, Phoenix, and Jeff was seven years old, and he and I decided we were going to do a hike. There was a lot of trails, and there was mountains, and it was desert with cactuses, and it was really interesting coming from where we lived. But it was also very hot, very dry, and people say, oh, the heat's dry out there, which it was, I guess, dry, but so was the ground and the sand and the stones, and there was no trees. And we went hiking, and we could see a, a mountain in the distance with like a, a cell tower. And we thought, you know, that would really be neat if we could hike up to there. So we started, but we didn't go real far because it was really hot. And our, jug, our little container of water was running out pretty quickly. And we decided, you know what, this is about far enough. But it had been nice to hike all the way there. Maybe we should go back. And I even got to carry Jeff on my shoulders a little bit of the return trip, which was really neat. Pretty, it didn't help me as far as the heat, but it was just neat because at that time, seven years old, he was getting a little heavy, and even though I was younger then, it was, uh, it was a challenge to hike in the desert, but it was a blessing because I knew I wouldn't be doing this a lot more, carrying him. Pretty neat. So maybe the encouragement from today is, uh, this is way off the subject, you parents enjoy carrying your children on your shoulders this week because they'll get heavy enough it won't work but it was hot and it was dry so back to Elijah he's hiking not for two or three hours like we did he's hiking all day I think he went as far as he could physically go I don't know if he had water but it would seem that by the time he got to this juniper tree or broom tree which is like a shrub it was big enough it had some shade he gets under that shade shade is fantastic in the desert it is fantastic. He gets under it, but he's not only physically tired, he's emotionally tired, he's mentally tired, and his ministry, as he saw it, was over. Now, he's a man of prayer. When he prays, God answers. So he prayed, Lord, done all I can. I've went as far as I can go. It's time for me to go home. And I guess physically, there's no water. Nobody there, no miracle. He didn't pray for the ravens or a brook or anything. He prayed for death. And he fell asleep. He fell asleep. Probably thinking, what a wonderful way to go. Don't we all want to kind of quietly die in our sleep? 
I don't think he knew at this point he was going to go up on a supersonic uh, airplane, not airplane, chariot of horses. <laughs> no, at this time, things look really black and dark to him. So he's sleeping, and here's where the story turns. He gets a touch from an angel. The angel doesn't have a name, but in the Old Testament, sometimes it says the angel of the Lord. Sometimes it just says an angel. Could have this been Jesus? I know I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but I'm looking for Jesus in every line I can in the Old Testament. And I think that's a good thing to do. With the three Hebrew boys who were burning in the fiery furnace, the king looks in and says, what do we see in there? Is that an angel? Is that a man? And, and it's an amazing line, isn't it? Yeah, there's a fourth man, but it looks like the Son of God. That one's pretty easy to say. I think that was Jesus, a pre-incarnated Jesus, in the fire with those three men. I don't know. This was an angel of the Lord. It may have been Jesus. Certainly it was sent from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Touches him. Lunch is ready, or maybe it was dinner or supper. I'm not sure what time it was. I don't know if he slept all night, and it's the next morning he wakes up. Time to eat. And there's a jar of water. I don't think he probably ever drank water that was so sweet. And there was food. He got done. He slept some more, and the process was repeated. Jar of water, I'm guessing, was filled again. The food. This was not a cold meal either. Right? What, what verse is this? Verse 6. There was a cake baked on coals. A hot meal. I imagine it tasted as good as the best cooking uh, here. I'm not sure where we get the best cooking. I think we're going to Delvin's house today. That's going to either be the best or close to the best. <laughs> Delvin's pointing to Barbara. I guess it's Barbara's kitchen. Anyway, this angel kitchen was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And the angel said, you're going to need the strength from this food. Go ahead and eat another meal. You're going to need the strength for the journey that you have ahead. So he arose and he ate and drank and then he went in the strength of that food. This was miracle food that carried him 40 days and 40 nights. Another long distance, way down to near the Red Sea, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, the mountain of God where Moses had gotten the Ten Commandments. That's where he went next. And I think God probably gave him some direction. We don't know for sure how he got there, but he got to the mountain of God and there... God had a message for him. He had a question for him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He had direction for him. I don't see the clock from here. So, Nan, could you tell me what time it is? 11.45, okay. So, he's in the cave. Because I'm going to close this message, Lord willing, with four questions. And... We're going to have to uh, wind the story up quickly. But it was an amazing thing that happened out there, wasn't it? He heard a voice, and it said, Go out on the mountain. I'm going to pass by. 
which I think could mean I have a message for you. I'm going to meet with you. And I don't know if Elijah went out and then the huge windstorm hit. Now, in Highland County, Jeff and I did a number of uh, wild cave experiences, which were really fantastic. And if things are extremely bad with wind and rain, a cave is a fantastic place to go. So I don't know if he went out and then he kind of retreated because of the wind. It was horrible. There were rocks being, things were being moved around by this wind, which I imagine trees were, if there were trees there, they were probably blowing down. And then next, there was an earthquake. Now, I've had a couple panic attacks while being in um, caves. I don't like real tight spaces. I enjoy exploring. But there was a couple times that I had panic attacks from trying to crawl through very narrow places. And part of it probably had to do with thinking, what if there's an earthquake? This is so tight. All it would take is a small earthquake and this rock to shift a little lower. And there I would go. So I'd start thinking about it. My heart would start racing. So I'm guessing on the second uh, manifestation of God's power, the first was the wind, the second was the earthquake. I'm imagining if he had retreated back into the cave, he'd probably moved toward the entrance. I would have. If things are really shaking, you don't really want these rocks to drop on you. But then the third dramatic power of God was the fire. Um, so I'm not sure if he then retreated back into the cave to get away from the fire. I don't know. But after those three things had passed by, and what's most significant was God didn't speak through all the noise. God can speak in a loud voice if he wants to, but for whatever reason, he did not give a message, at least not in words. He demonstrated the message of his power. But Isaiah, uh, uh, Elijah is back in the cave. He's, he put his apron or his cloak or cape, whatever it was, over his face. And he's just overwhelmed with God's power. And maybe he's also wanting a message. What is this in, what, what's this for me, God? His prayer hadn't been answered. The prayer was that he would go home. He wanted his work over. And then God spoke. This was the second time to speak. Same words, still small voice. Maybe it was a quieter voice this time than it was. It was asking him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Good question for us too, isn't it? It's a purpose question. What are you doing here? God has a purpose for each one of us. No matter how close we may think we are to death. I'm going to get sidetracked again. I was going to say in the opening, I am so glad to see everyone here, not only the new people, but there's a couple people here who were in the hospital in the last couple of weeks. And I don't know how close you felt to death in the hospital, but you're here today. And we praise the Lord for that. So glad we're all here. We don't know the point of our death. Elijah was praying and believing and understanding that his ministry was over his work on earth was over and it was time to go. But God told him, your work's not over yet. And he says that to every one of us. It's easy to understand if you're a teenager. You got a lot of energy and a lot of time ahead. It's a little harder to understand as you get more middle age, especially if you have disappointments. With Elijah had a huge disappointment. 
the people of God, after declaring the Lord is God, the Lord is God, it seemed like the king and the queen and things didn't fall in place. There wasn't a widespread revival of returning to God's word, but there was a threat on his life. And he wanted to die peacefully with God taking him rather than Jezebel putting him away. Elijah answered God's question exactly the same way both times, the exact same words. If you're looking at your Bible in verse 11, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 10 and in verse 14, 10 and 14, the words are exactly the same. He didn't exactly answer the question, did he? What are you doing here? He sort of did, because at the end he said, they're seeking to kill me. And that's a good explanation for running. That's a good explanation for being in a cave. But the other things he basically reviewed, how hard he had worked for God. And he also said something that was absolutely wrong, and God very kindly corrected him in it. And that thing was, I'm the only one left. It reminds me of about 15 or 12 or 15 years ago, we were visiting some friends up in a northern state. Uh, our church was asked uh, to go and give a program. We were at Front Royal Mennonite Church at that time, and our church went and gave a program, and we were able to meet some old friends that we hadn't seen in probably 15 or 20 years. They had been at Bible school uh, with us earlier, and, and the man of the house, the daddy, uh, we were catching up, and he shared how he got to the place he thought he was the only Christian. He and his wife, maybe, they were homeschooling and home churching and trying to find the perfect church, and he was really doubting. All these other people really were serious and alive and on fire for God. And he said, I really kind of got to where I felt I wasn't either. He felt so alone. But then, praise God, as with Elijah, and as with us, when we feel all alone, we need to hear, we need to hear the word of the Lord in this verse 18, the last verse I read. I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to God. There's many others besides you who are God worshipers, who are turning from idols, who aren't kissing idols and putting their energy and their affection into idols. They are serving God, and that is such an encouragement to me. Well, I'm praying that this story would also encourage you wherever you are. You may be in a wilderness. You may be in a cave. I don't know what metaphor fits where you are right now. You may be at the point of exhaustion, discouragement. Wherever we are, God's word from the Old Testament is coming to us and encouraging us. I wrote seven, seven little statements here, if I can find them in my notes, about this story, all about Elijah, but all of these seven speak to me. Number one, Elijah experienced disappointment and other losses. Number two, God heard Elijah's prayer, even though he answered it differently. Number three, God sent help, a servant, a tree with shade, sleep, an angel, food, water, 
and miracle strength. God guided Elijah to Horeb, the mountain of God. He showed him his power in the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. And then number six, God spoke softly and asked Elijah a purpose question. And number seven, God corrected Elijah's misperception that he was the only believer. Now the four questions that I have for you. Actually, Derek's going to help me with these. It's in uh, the form of poetry. Is it 455? 455. This question is asked. Four questions are asked in this song, and they're answered. Verse 1 asks the question, How can I find forgiveness for my sin? How can I find peace with God? Is there a way? And the verse answers the question, yes, the blood of Jesus whispers peace within through the Holy Spirit, through the holy blood of Jesus. By connecting to Jesus in faith, we can have peace with God. So I'm going to ask you the question, and the song will ask us the question, do you have peace with God? Do you have your sins all under the blood of Jesus? If so, we can have peace with God. The second question has to do with, is it duties? Overwhelm? Yes, overwhelm. Anybody here, this question's for you, for me. Anybody overwhelmed with too many things to do, too much pressure, too many people expecting too many things, where are we going to find peace? And the third question is, uh, the future unknown. Does anyone here feel like the future is unknown? That's all of us, isn't it? Maybe all four of these questions apply to you, but none of us know the future. Where are we going to find peace as we think about the future? In Jesus. The answer of every one of these is the same. In Jesus, we find forgiveness. In Jesus, we find rest for our duties. In Jesus, we find a calmness in our soul as we look at the future. And the last one is facing death, that great last enemy. And this reminds me of last Sunday. Jesus conquered death as we're facing death. Brother Joe and Brother Amos, you may have felt close to death in the last couple of weeks as you went to the hospital, but it wasn't your time. Hallelujah, we're glad you're here. For the Christian, as we face death, we can have peace only one way through Jesus. So why don't Let's have a prayer, and then we'll stand, and we'll ask and answer these questions as we sing this song. Father in heaven, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement of it. We thank you how we see Jesus, even in these Old Testament stories. And we pray that he would minister to our hearts through the Holy Spirit this morning in every way that we need him. And we thank you. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing the song. Song number 455, 455. Mm -hmm. Peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. The blood of Jesus
Struggle soon shall see.